following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Our call to worship today is from Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. O God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. My soul is satisfied, as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. Today uh, is the third Sunday in the season of Lent, and there's six Sundays in the season of Lent, which means that at the end of this week we're going to be halfway through this season, halfway to Easter from the start of the season which is kind of unbelievable to me. I mean, before you know it, they're going to be having back-to-school sales in the stores. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know. How many of you just went, <gasps> Yeah, but this is how life happens, isn't it? While we're busy doing other things sometimes. Um, it's, a, it's a reminder to treasure each and every day, and... and I would encourage you also, as part of treasuring each and every day, to try to find some way to welcome God's presence into your life each day. Maybe you've been doing that. Maybe you've been doing one of our three Lenten practices. Um, I hope that if you have, that you've found some fruitfulness in that. We've, we'll talk about that on Tuesday if you want to unpack that, or if you need some more guidance or help from, from me and from your peers, um, that will be something that we'll do on Tuesday. Um, we are doing Lent a little differently this year because Lent is so often it's, it, we focus in on stuff that maybe we already feel over-focused on right now in this time of our life, right? So Lent is typically a season of repentance, of reflection, of, of uh, a little bit of somberness, of reflection on our own mortality, right? We've kind of been forced to do all of that stuff for two years now. And while we want to there's something to be said for orienting ourselves spiritually toward all of those activities rather than just like fire hose of news and things like that. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, this season at Lent, we're kind of asking ourselves and trying to help each other do something more than that. And so we paired it with the idea of Jubilee, which is another concept that that comes from the Bible it comes from the Hebrew Bible and the, this practice that the Israelites ostensibly had, although I told you in the first week that they pretty much were pretty sure they never actually did it, of having a year of jubilee. So just as they had a Sabbath day every week where, where they would do no work and no labor and they would, their household would rest for the whole day, they had a Sabbath year every seven years where they would not plant in the fields and they would not harvest from the fields and so they relied on this extra crop from the sixth year and they would let the land fly fallow and they would as a community, take the whole year to rest, theoretically. Again, they probably never did it. But don't hold that against them. How many of the spiritual practices that you supposedly hold dear have you never actually done either? And me too. 
Um, and then every seven Jubilee, or every seven Sabbath years, they would have the year of Jubilee. So every 49 years, or maybe it was the 50th year, it's not clear what they were planning to do. And then, of course, they didn't really probably do it. But the idea was, in that year, they would have the Sabbath year of Sabbath years, and all the debts would be canceled, and everybody would return to their land, and all of the stuff that had been uh, sold to, to make do over the past seven years or 50 years would be redeemed and returned to its original owners. Um, and so in Lent, we're trying to do both of these ideas at the same time. The traditional reflection and um, remembrance of immortality and somberness and all those things. Also, jubilee, <laughs> which literally means, like, etymologically, it means trumpet blast. And it would be announced with a trumpet blast. Right. So we're doing Lent differently. We're, we're trying to balance those two ideas. We're talking about ways to kind of embrace both of them each week. We're even breaking some of the Lent rules, like you're not supposed to technically sing the word hallelujah during Lent. It's been three Sundays in Lent, and we've done it all three Sundays. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy for that. It's great. I think we need some of the, we need to find reasons to sing praise the Lord. Um, hallelujah. Um, all right, so let me give you our gospel reading for today. This is from the Revised Common Lectionary. It happens to fall on this week, but that's not always going to be the case. Through Lent, I'm kind of picking and choosing from the, the whole season's assigned Bible passages to choose the ones that make sense thematically. But this is on page 848 in the Red Bibles. If you like to follow along, we will also have it on the screen. And this, I think, in, in Luke 13, 1 through 9, is really a perfect passage for the way that we're approaching Lent because you're going to hear this teaching of Jesus. He is definitely going to talk about mortality and about repentance, very Lenten themes, right? And he's also going to talk about a really, I think, beautiful, gentle way of hoping for a better future, of hoping for a fresh start, in fact. And also, the passage is a little bit weird, so it's totally perfect for us <laughs> um, right now. So I'm going to read it, and I'm going to interject a little bit, because some of it is, as I said, strange. So uh, Luke 13, verse 1, at that time... There were some present who told him, being Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Okay, so let me pause for just a second. What I think is going on here is this is um, some people reporting a piece of news to Jesus about something that happened. Pilate, as you might know, when we get to the end of Lent, will be well acquainted with Pilate because he was the Roman official who ultimately sentenced Jesus to death. And he was part of the Roman Empire's uh, mechanism for keeping an uneasy peace with these Jewish uh, people, these Israelites who had, who were in in the Roman Empire, but were not of the Roman Empire, if you if you pardon the phrase, right? And it seems like Pilate had had some Jews killed while they were sacrificing at the altar. They were they were doing their animal sacrifice. The blood of the animals was there, and he mixed their blood in with their sacrifice. That's what that means, I think. All right. And so people come and tell Jesus about this, and he says in verse 2, he asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, here again, it's another kind of piece of recent news. A tower apparently fell. We don't have a historical record of this event, um, but I don't know why we would either. I mean, a tower fell down and some people were killed. Something that happens from time to time. And Jesus says, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. And then he tells a parable. 
He says, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? The gardener replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So I I do want to spend most of my time here with the last bit of the passage, with the parable that Jesus tells. But I would be remiss if I did not talk for just a minute about the first part, because that first part um, touches on one of what is, for me, one of my most important personal realizations and themes uh, uh, that I find in all of the Christian scriptures. It's not really part of the series that we're doing, but it's worth a quick glance because I think it's so important. Right. I mean, the first thing I love about it is that Jesus is so contemporary. He's talking about current events like any good teacher would do. He's talking about these local news stories, basically. Two tragedies that everyone would have been aware of, and he's trying to put a religious context on it for them. Right? There were people who were being killed, who had been killed at the temple while offering sacrifices. There's some people who were killed when a tower fell on them. And so here we have two tragedies. One that was a direct human cause, very clear, an evil action that led to someone's death. And then what was probably a random accident that led to some people's death. And what I think is really, really, really important here is that Jesus totally rejects the idea that these tragedies, that any tragedies are God's way of punishing evil. I think this is so important because, unfortunately, this idea persists even today, including among the churches that bear Jesus' name. The idea that tragedies, both human and natural, are God's way of punishing evil. And Jesus says, no, that's not how the universe is set up. You could read John 9 for a similar type of thing. He talks about this more than once. And then he goes on to point out the hypocrisy of the people who say things like that because he knows, like all of us know, that nine times out of ten, when someone says, this tragedy is God's judgment for X, Y, or Z, X, Y, or Z is always something someone else is doing. And so they come asking Jesus about this and say, you can just almost hear it in, their, in, their, in the voices that, that you're imagining. They want Jesus to agree with them that Pilate did this to these Galileans, that that tower fell down and killed some other Galileans because of the sins in their lives. Which, fortunately enough, the person relating the story doesn't suffer from. All right? And so Jesus says to them, no, no, that's not how it works out but you better get your stuff together because there's other towers out there, basically, right? So the next time someone comes up to you and suggests that some terrible event is God's way of getting our attention or of punishing a particular group of so-called evildoers, you can point them to Jesus and say, Jesus says no to that kind of thing. Um, And also he says that you should look out because a tower might fall on you. All right. So take that for what it's worth. That's, that's like a little free mini sermon. No charge. I want to turn to the part of the teaching that I think really does point to our, our theme of Lenten Jubilee and, and, and um, of starting over. 
And it's really just the last few verses, um, the parable that he tells. Let me read this much again. It's verses 6 through 9. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Have you ever come to a moment in your life when you feel like you suddenly realize that you have been wasting time and resources on something that is not bearing fruit? It's so strange to me how often it happens that, that, that this time and energy and resources can be spent for a period of years and then suddenly you wake up one morning and you're like, what is going on? This is not bearing fruit. Where's my axe? <laughs> right? You, you, you realize in the moment that for three years you've been staring at an empty fig tree. And you're wondering, why did I waste all this time and, and soil, right? And resources. Now this could be something that you feel individually. It could be something that you experience in community with other people. I think it's so important to remember that the the biblical vision of the world, which is to say how the, the picture that we get of how God's people kind of are wired, is that there's almost never an individual salvation or anything else. It's always a communal thing. We're always part of one another. Right? And so maybe you are thinking as the people of God or the people of Monroe County, or the city of Rochester, or whatever. It's been three years we're staring at this empty fig tree. It's giving us no fruit. It's time to cut it down and move on. And if you're inclined to think about that in community, then you're in good company, because traditionally in in the imagery of Scripture, fig trees and grapevines are often used to describe the Israelites, God's people, right? I remember a time several years ago when I realized that I had to make a decision. Really, it had to do with my role here at Artisan. Um, Artisan is 17 years old. This would have been about probably around 12 years ago because I know that Tracy and I, either Tracy was pregnant with my younger son who's going to turn 11 in a couple of weeks or we were thinking about having a a second child. Um, And at the time... Artisan Church was still employing three out of the four founding pastors of the church, despite not really having the budget, for, barely having the budget for one salary package. Right? And so you can imagine how that um, had downstream effects on the three of us who were in the, that situation. We were all doing um, other jobs outside the church. We were all trying to make ends meet. All of our spouses were working. Um, and in, in our household's case, Tracy was working a very, very stressful and, frankly, potentially dangerous job. Right? And she had been, I, I always say, she had been financing my pastor habit for, for our whole marriage to that point. She had been the breadwinner. She had been, and this is not a, a, some dumb macho male pride thing. It's just like she had been carrying the weight of me trying to pursue whatever I perceived to be God's calling on my life to be a pastor, right? And suddenly I woke up and I was done with that. 
And at the very next staff meeting, I sat down with these other two guys and I said, I don't know what we're going to do, but I can tell you one thing. I am not going to be doing this 18 months from now. And I probably was a little bit like fired up that way because it was a very hard thing to say. It was a very hard realization to make. But I knew that we, my family could not sustain a healthy life doing what we were doing. And um, so I actually thought that that probably would result in me just resigning my position at the church and, and going to get a, a real job, right? Which, blessedly, God has still protected me from ever having to have. Um, right? I'm, I'm still here. You know how the story ends, right? We did some discernment as a staff, and I, I am not a person who, who very often or ever flippantly says, like, we heard a, a like, a, a clear direction from God, but we heard a very clear direction from God, including a very freaky conversation that I had with a person right out there who um, basically told me that God told him to tell me something, right? Which was, you have to pastor the people in that room, right? And what that resulted in is us changing our staff structure quite dramatically. One person, one of our founding pastors moving on to something else. Another of our founding pastors being willing to step down into an associate role so that I could become the senior pastor, right? which is still a term I don't particularly like. I, um, I just got my first gray hair this year, but it's not, it's not because I'm a senior. Um, also, it wasn't my first one, but... So this is, this is a personal example from my life, right? Um, we could also think of a community example as the people here at Artisan Church, right? Where we had to make the decision, the, the very painstaking and, and for some of us very difficult and some of us very easy and overdue decision to begin the process of separating from our denomination, the family of churches that had been our family of churches since the very beginning, because we wanted to move fully into what we believe God is calling us to do, which is to welcome and affirm LGBTQ plus people. And that was not going to work in the denomination that founded this church. And it was really, really difficult. It took quite some time for us to uh, come to that decision. Boy, did we ever dig trenches around that fig tree and, and pour in manure, right? Fertilizer, let's go fertilizer, for years, we did that, hoping that, that we would see some fruit appear. And eventually, we came to realize there's, we are not going to see any figs in this situation. It is now time to cut that tree down. Right? I know a lot of you could think of similar situations in your own life or in communities that you are part of. No doubt some of you are going through something like this right now. You're, you're, you've woken up and realized that for a period of time, maybe years, you've been staring at that empty fig tree. I think we as a, as a people, as a church, as a nation, as a human race, have been going through a period of years that has felt pretty bleak and fruitless. And maybe right now some of you are feeling ready to, to give up on whatever it is, Right? to cut down whatever tree has not been bearing fruit in your life. Maybe you woke up and you feel ready to end a relationship or to make a drastic job change or to leave your church or 
change the way you think about your religious faith. You are certainly not alone in feeling that way. I know that you are not alone. Because I get to have these one-to-many conversations, and I also get to have a lot of one-on-one conversations. So if you are feeling like that, and you think you're the only one, without naming names, I can tell you unequivocally, you are not the only one. And I think that this parable can offer you some help. So in this little story, just four short verses, six, seven, eight, and nine, I'm seeing three lessons for people who are staring at an empty fig tree, wondering. And as is the case with so many great teachings, the lessons don't always agree with each other. They're sometimes mutually exclusive. So the first lesson, the first possible lesson for you is give it one more year. That's what the gardener says to the landowner, right? Give it one more year. Let's give it a little bit more attention because maybe you planted this tree and you thought it was just going to give you a bunch of figs and you don't have to work for it. You don't have to do anything. Maybe you've been really busy for two or three years, just focused on other things. Maybe life called you away. But if you really care about this fig tree, we should at least give it one more year of care and attention to see if with that cultivation something good can come of it. Fruit takes time to grow. And the fruit tree that is not yet producing fruit is not necessarily useless. It's not necessarily true that its only destiny is in the fireplace. It might be totally normal that for right now you are not seeing fruitfulness from that area of your life that you woke up and went, what is going on about? It's possible that what feels right now like wasted years is actually the start of something unimaginably good that will not only bear fruit for years to come but will produce other trees that can bear fruit for years to come. Maybe your down season is just due to circumstances, right? Um, Maybe two years into a pandemic is the right time to make a giant change in your life, but maybe it's the time to wait one more year and just see how things feel in 2023. By the way, one of the lessons of the whole Sabbath year concept is that sometimes the land needs to lie fallow. Sometimes not insisting on pulling resources out of every crop nonstop. Maybe that's what the problem is too. Maybe it actually needs a year of rest. And maybe if you were to cut that tree down right now, you would, you would lose a lot. So that's the first lesson. The second lesson is that you might have to get dirty <laughs> to keep that thing going. You might have to dig a trench around it. You might have to spread some mess. It might not be comfortable or pleasant 
or smell very sweet, to do the work that you need to do to give that tree a chance before you decide to cut it down. I don't know what that looks like for you because it's probably particular to each situation that's in your mind and heart right now and it's different for everyone. But you should count that into the equation as you're trying to decide what to do. Am I willing not only to wait a year but potentially to get my hands dirty and smelly, spiritually speaking, metaphorically speaking, relationally speaking? And here's the thing you have to keep in the back of your mind. It, it still might not work out. You might give that tree another whole year. You might dedicate all kinds of time and resources and energy into giving it the best chance of surviving you possibly can. And you're still going to end up cutting it down next year. And I know that that's not a very fun thing to think about. I know that that is extremely discouraging to think about. But what you need to decide for yourself is, this tree that I woke up looking at and realized isn't bearing fruit and hasn't for a while, is it worth that? Sometimes it will be. And sometimes it won't be. Here's the third lesson. Choose your crop. Did you notice there's more than one crop in this story? Who caught the other fruit-producing crop in this story? It's a vineyard. A man planted a fig tree in a vineyard. Have you ever seen a fig tree? Let me show you a picture of a fig tree, and you tell me, you've driven in through the, through the Finger Lakes. Does it look like a good idea to plant that in a vineyard? <laughs> right? For those of you who are not able to see this right now, for whatever reason, um, I'll describe it to you. It's freaking huge. <laughs> right? um, I have a six and a half foot almost wingspan, and I couldn't even go like a third of the way around it probably. And it spreads out five times wider than that with big branches that go down low. Right? Why would anybody have planted this over grapevines? That's beyond me. I think that's part of the fun of this parable, actually. This is part of what makes it a weird story. Have you driven through the Finger Lakes? If you don't know, by the way, Rochester is near the Finger Lakes, which is one of, it's probably like the second best wine region in the whole country, right? And the Napa Valley people are over there like, oh, it's a very distant second. But anyway, um, <laughs> my point is that they're, they're small and low to the ground and they need sunlight. Have you ever seen a shade tree over the grapevines? I haven't. Maybe the problem is that this landowner did not have his priorities straight. Maybe in his case, he was supposed to be cultivating grapes and he made a very stupid decision to plant a gigantic tree over the top of them. And all of us have done something like that, haven't we? If you can say right now, yep, I have a big old dumb fig tree over my grapevines, then yes, get your axe out today and cut it down. Because every minute you spend waiting and maybe fertilizing it and seeing if it's going to bear figs, it's like that's not the point. You are supposed to be cultivating grapes. <laughs> figs are wonderful, but let someone else do that. Cutting, in this case, cutting down the fig tree is going to make your grapevines a lot healthier. <sighs> I was feeling particularly energized in this sermon preparation this week, um, more than I have probably since 2020, to be perfectly frank with you. And I had this great idea. I was going to go out and get a big 
giant bunch of grapes and then a big plate of dried figs and I was going to put one of each, uh, like a plate of each next to the communion elements on the table and I was going to ask you to come forward and take a toothpick and pick the fruit that you thought, am I going to be a fig tree person or a grapevine person? And I was going to have you eat it at the end of the service because the benediction has this beautiful thing about eating rich food and it was going to be wonderful and then I went to Tops and they don't sell dried figs at Tops. <laughs> I should have gone to Trader Joe's. <laughs> where, by the way, they don't sell garbage bags. That's a different story. But I asked where the garbage bags once. Once I asked where the garbage bags were at Trader Joe's, and the person was like, garbage bags? Sir, we don't sell garbage bags. <laughs> anyway, if I'd gone to Trader Joe's, I probably would have had figs and grapes. You could have had this great, like, multi-sensory, um, tasteable reminder of this, this lesson from Jesus' parable in Luke 13, but I, I don't have any of those things. <laughs> Instead, I'll, I'll ask you to imagine <laughs> that you've chosen a grape or a fig, <laughs> representing for you whether you are ready to cut the tree down or whether you're going to give it one more year. And uh, later when the benediction is read and you hear the thing about rich food, you can imagine eating it and just kind of having that, <laughs> that sensory experience of, of God's lesson for you today. So, maybe give it one more year. Maybe be willing to get your hands dirty. But maybe choose your crop first. And now it's time for you to do some discernment, probably. Because nobody's going to have the same situation. Everybody's going to have a different answer to this. Some of you are going to cut the tree down, and some of you are going to fertilize it. This might be the one thing that God's Spirit is calling you to do during this remaining season of Lent. This might be the thing that you are supposed to discern right now before we get to Easter. And may God grant you grace and wisdom as you do that difficult work of discernment. May you be blessed with the courage to make the decision that you need to make and may you have peace about it. May God give you all the things you need to replace what might be lost or to sustain what needs to be kept. And may you always remember that you are not alone in this act. Though the decision you have to face is yours, you have the family of God and God's people sitting around you, joining you online, all over the country and even the world. We're in it together. Thanks be to God. And now a benediction from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 1 and 2. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You that have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is, does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Go in peace. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.